A reading from Genesis, chapter 29, verses 15 through 28. Laban said to Jacob, You shouldn't have to work for free just because you're my relative. Tell me what you would like to be paid. Now Laban had two daughters. The older was named Leah and the younger, Rachel. Leah had delicate eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and was good looking. Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will work for you for seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. Laban said, I'd rather give her to you than to another man. Stay with me. Jacob worked for Rachel for seven years, but it seemed like a few days because he loved her. Jacob said to Laban, the time has come. Give me my wife so that I may sleep with her. So Laban invited all the people of that place and prepared a banquet. However, in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he slept with her. Laban had given his servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah as her servant. In the morning, there she was, Leah. Jacob said to Laban, what have you done to me? Didn't I work for you to have Rachel? Why did you betray me? Laban said, where we live, we don't give the younger woman before the oldest. Complete the celebratory week with this woman. Then I will give you this other woman too for your work. If you work for me, seven more years. So that is what Jacob did. He completed the celebratory week with this woman, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. The word of God for the people of God. Now, I chuckled a little bit, and I heard some of you did too, when we uh, got to the end of that scripture reading, and we said, the word of God for the people of God. It's a pretty strange reading. Sometimes maybe we should put a question mark at the end of that sentence. The word of God for the people of God? Okay. Each week during our summer series on sacred community, Adam and Jana have reminded us that sacred community is not perfect community. So at this point, I want to pause and ask, are you convinced? Or is there some little part of you that still suspects that God kind of, sort of, prefers people that are a little more perfect, and that those are the people that make a community a sacred community. We've heard story after story this summer that suggests that God has absolutely no interest in whatever version of perfection we have in mind. That God is more interested in things like rest, friendship, and unity. That God invites us to be honest about brokenness, to wrestle with God, to learn and grow and be willing to change our minds. The marker of sacred community that I want to highlight this morning is risk. God takes a risk by partnering with unreliable, imperfect humans in the formation of sacred community. And I think the question is, what risks will we take to be a part of it? In the text that Tom read for us, we return to Jacob's story. I love the Old Testament, I love Genesis, I especially love Jacob's story. He's kind of a mess. And this portion of his story has been interpreted in a variety of ways. 
Some say it's about a trickster getting tricked. If you remember anything about Jacob, he tricked his father into giving him his brother's blessing. Some say it's a story about a humbling experience on the road toward maturity, although I don't really see a lot of evidence that he particularly matured after this. And some say, and this one's kind of a doozy, I think, some say it's about love and perseverance. I read this sentence. If you stick with it, you too will get your Rachel. <laughs> now, there are some problems with some of these, but I think the main problem to me is that in these interpretations, Leah and Rachel are props for Jacob's story. But they aren't props, and the text doesn't say that they are. They are the mothers of the children whose descendants will be the nations of Israel. They take a lot of risks for this to happen. So let's take a little bit of time and put Leah and Rachel in the foreground of this story. Immediately, a competition is set up, a comparison of Leah and Rachel. And in case any of you are thinking, whew, thank goodness, we do not live in that old patriarchal society, I invite you to call to mind all the times women are set up to be in competition with each other in our society. Kate Middleton and Meghan Markle, uh, I just saw something about Ben Affleck's former and present wives, Jennifer Garner and Jennifer Lopez. And any of you women in your work lives, I'm sure you have experienced being compared to another woman in your work life. How are they dressed? How are they behaving? Who's more fit? Who's having children? Who's loved by your husband? Who is on the outs? Setting up women to be in competition is a time-worn, well-honed practice. We really need to stop that one. And the competition here begins almost immediately. In the common English translation that Tom read today, it says Leah's eyes are delicate. The NRSV reads that Leah's eyes were lovely and Rachel was graceful and beautiful. But that word, translated delicate or lovely, also means things like weak, timid, soft, tender, but not tender in like a sweet way, but tender in that weak way. So other translations pick up on that and say things like, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and was good looking. In the part of the story we have today, Rachel and Leah are pawns in a game being played by Laban and Jacob. But there's a lot left out of the story. So we don't really know what they knew what they thought, whether they were in on the plan. Womanist theologian Wilda Gaffney alerts us to this missing information, and she also points out some things in the text that we do know about them. For example, when Jacob first sees Rachel, he meets her at a well, and the text says she's there working as a shepherdess. She's caring for her father's flocks. She's there along with all the shepherds who are all men, but she's in charge of her flocks. And then after Jacob is married to Leah and Rachel, they come to the foreground of the story. They decide who he will be with and when, including forcing their slaves, Bilhah and Zilpah, to bear Jacob's children. 
So we have here another part of this family saga, a messy, complicated, sometimes heartbreaking story of the formation of sacred community and the risks inherent in that formation. As I said before, God takes a risk on these imperfect, unreliable people promising to be with them for the long haul, celebrating them, teaching them, and dealing with all their stuff. And God promises them the very things that they lack and need for survival in an underpopulated world of subsistence farming, children and land. And those are the two things that are always at risk in these stories. Will they have children? Will they find a place to live and thrive? Sometimes they put God's promises at risk through their decisions and actions. And other times they take risks to realize God's promises and play their part in sacred community. Will Gaffney writes, God promises, but how? We don't live in their world. We live in an overpopulated world. And while they may not be distributed equitably, we probably have enough resources for everyone to live and thrive. So the question that occurs to me is, what is it that we lack? What is necessary for us to survive and thrive and for sacred community to be possible? And what are we willing to risk to get it? Some might say, we lack time. We are very busy people. And we are conditioned to hurry, to feel as if urgency is almost always required. And it can feel like a risk to resist that, to rest, to say, maybe I'll get to that next week, to go deeply rather than broadly, to appreciate and allow for a slow unfolding rather than immediate problem solving. Some might say we lack opportunities to be authentic. Achievement, perfectionism, we have a lot of that. Failure is not an option. And it can feel risky to, as Tina said in the call to confession, to put down our masks, to accept that God loves and welcomes the real us and share real moments with each other. Angela Reed, in her book, The Quest for Spiritual Community, says that one of the markers of spiritual or sacred community is when we can share memories of sacred moments and have those sacred moments accepted and cherished by others. So I want you to think back over your week, your weekend, the last few days, this week, this past month, and let some sacred moments come to mind. Sacred moments might include an experience of delight or joy. Maybe you learned something new that challenged you. Maybe you had a good laugh or a good cry. Maybe you created or appreciated art. Maybe you felt and expressed your grief. Maybe you got or gave a hug. Maybe you ate a delicious peach. Maybe you got a good night's sleep. Maybe you had an argument and you realized something about yourself. 
So think for just a moment, what's a sacred moment that you've experienced recently? And now, rather than just talk to you about taking risks, I'm going to ask you to take one, just a little one. It's, it's only little, but it can feel risky because we don't normally do this at this moment in our worship services. So we might feel anxious about the time or that we can't think of anything, but that's okay because we don't have to be perfect. So I want you to turn to someone near you. Could be two of you, could be three of you, could be four of you, turn around and look behind you and just very briefly, in a sentence or two, tell someone about a sacred moment you've recently had. I'll give you about five minutes and then I'll call you back. Okay, I'm gonna invite you back. <laughs> I invite you to uh, come back. <laughs> Don't let anybody ever tell you you're not good at this. You're very good at this. Will you pray with me? Community Maker, we are so grateful for your presence within, between, and among us. Help us honor your risk in loving us and being at the center of our sacred community by risking our own commitment to sacred community with you and with each other. Amen. <laughs>